Namaste and welcome to Boss by PI, a policy discussion series brought to you by Policy Entrepreneurs Inc. My name is Saurabh Lama. In today's episode, we have PI colleague Shreya Rana's conversation with Suman Basnet on supporting Nepal's transition to clean cooking. In this episode, Shreya and Suman discuss Nepal's energy scenario with special focus on the potential of shifting to electric cooking. The two discuss the opportunities and challenges in transitioning to clean cooking practices and its positive social, economic and environmental impacts, especially in mitigating climate change vulnerabilities. Suman is the team leader at the Nepal Renewable Energy Program, a government of Nepal program supported by the British Embassy in Kathmandu. He is a renewable energy and management professional with over 35 years of experience in the developmental and the private sectors. He holds an MBA in Technological Entrepreneurship from the Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute and an MSc degree in Energy Policy from the University of Sussex. We hope you enjoy the conversation. So let's begin today's episode with an overview of cooking practices in Nepal, and then we can dive into the unique geographical, cultural and socioeconomic factors, which is sort of pushing this need to transition to clean cooking. I would like to start by uh, quoting some figures from the census of 2021. The census has shown that uh, in Nepal, 51% of the households still use firewood for cooking, 44% use LPG and 3% still use cow dung. Biogas, only 1%, and electricity, half a percent. Now, if you look at Sudurpaschim, there 70% of the households use firewood, and in Karnali, it is 82%. So we are using traditional fuels and LPG predominantly, which we consider both to be unsustainable. Now, traditional biomass cook stoves are inefficient, and they produce a lot of smoke and emit greenhouse gases. These stoves in poorly ventilated kitchens expose people who are mostly women and children to harmful pollutants. In addition, mostly women often have to walk long distances to collect firewood and cleaning a kitchen coated in smoke residue is laborious. So there is a lot of environmental, social, and even uh, economic uh, disadvantages of using traditional cooking. Now, LPG is a much cleaner fuel. However, it still contributes to carbon dioxide emissions. In addition, it uses up Nepal's scarce foreign currency reserves and makes Nepal dependent on imported fuel. If you look at electric cooking, it is clean, it is safer, it uses indigenous renewable energy, hydropower and solar, it is comfortable, it is convenient and cheaper. In fact, a study has shown that electric cooking is about 15% cheaper than cooking with LPG. And there are new technological options coming. There is induction cookers, there's infrared, there's electric pressure cookers. And with these options, most Nepali households can continue using the same cooking practices of frying and boiling, though for animal feed and large quantities of water boiling might not be possible. So I think these kind of point towards the way to transition to electric cooking. So you've talked about how electric cooking can become this big part of this transition to clean cooking. Could you talk a little more about Nepal's current electricity sector? 
talk about uh, the context of how there is a surplus energy generation and how we need to increase domestic consumption. Well, uh, the electricity sector in Nepal has been in the news uh, for many years, uh, previously because there was a lot of deficit and now because there is a lot of surplus. So if we look at our hydropower production in Nepal, which is predominantly dependent on run-of-the-river hydropower projects, there is a flood famine situation in the supply. So when there is rain in the monsoon, there is a lot of supply of electricity. And during the dry season, that comes down to almost a third. So we have this flood and famine situation in the supply. On the other hand, in the demand, we have this peak and valley situation where, especially in the evenings and in the mornings, because most of the electricity is used domestically, uh, there is a peak in the evenings and mornings, and there is not much usage during the day and at night. So this brings a situation when certain times of the day and year, there is a deficit of electricity. Now, when there is a deficit, we've experienced loots shedding, so we know what implications that have on standard of living, but more importantly, on economic growth. And then there is surplus at times where we are spilling water and actually wasting our precious resources. So I think uh, the effort in Nepal has to be to look at more energy efficiency uh, when there is deficit or looking at other renewables that can complement hydro or even hydro storage. And I guess the last option is to import uh, electricity. And when there is surplus, we have to look at possibly export of electricity, but also how we can increase its use domestically. And with using electricity domestically, we can actually replace imports, both of electricity, but also if we can transition uh, use of petroleum or LPG to electricity, other imports that we have. And it reduces traditional fuel use and it can stimulate economic growth. This, in fact, sounds like a demanding task, especially since it requires multiple factors to work together. And what I can draw from your argument is that there is a focus on infrastructure. Suman, could you lay out some of the structural challenges in expanding the electricity grid and what kind of infrastructure is actually necessary to support electric cooking adoption? And especially when we consider remote rural areas of Nepal, how do you think this can be made possible? Now, if you look at uh, the electricity infrastructure, I think there is uh, an overwhelming agreement that grid supply from the national grid is the most flexible uh, because that gives uh, the flexibility of giving as much power as people need. Now, one thing that has been an issue in Nepal is because of remote locations and inaccessibility of places, expansion of the grid has been a problem. And usually it is a problem for two reasons, because firstly, it's difficult to transport equipment when you construct lines. And then when you want to repair and maintain it, it's very difficult to access. Fortunately, in Nepal, the road access is getting wider and wider and more roads are opening. So that um, opens up the possibilities for more cost-effective grid expansion. However, even when you say that, expanding grid is high cost and also maintaining it. And we've seen that there are a lot of environmental, social, and even climate vulnerabilities that are associated with transmission lines. So uh, we have these uh, opportunities of infrastructure that needs to be expanded because for electric cooking, we need to have a strong distribution system, but we also have challenges. Now, if you look at electric cooking and look at the challenges there, now, the electricity cooking usually happens 
in peak hours when there is heavy demand already for electricity, for lighting and other domestic uses. Now, this means that lines and distribution uh, transformers tend to get overloaded uh, during these hours, leading to high voltage drops and breakdown of the distribution network. So having sufficient distribution line and transformer capacity and cumulative having adequate substation capacity and adequate transmission capacity will be crucial when we talk about infrastructure. Uh, now, if you look at bringing uh, electric cooking solutions to off-grid systems, now this is still work in progress. I don't think we have really been able to do too much of electric cooking in off-grid areas. And so there is more need for research and development there to address the techno-economic and financing challenges. However, with decrease in cost of solar PV and also the development of energy-efficient DC electric cooking appliances, I think there is an emerging opportunity to use electric cooking even in off-grid areas. So in your opinion, um, what kind of demand-side management strategies um, should be implemented so that you encourage electric cooking adoption on the one hand, and also you better manage the surplus electricity generated within Nepal? Uh, now, we did talk about the infrastructure challenges for electric cooking. But in addition to that, there is also the challenges of long-established habits that people have, behaviors and practices, which prevent people from adopting electric cooking. So I think that is also something we have to always keep in mind. And it could present as big a challenge as infrastructure. Uh, I mean, some of the other reasons that we see for reluctance to adopt electric cooking is unfamiliar technology, safety, fear of high electricity bill. So in this situation, when we want to really increase demand-side management strategies, firstly, I think what we have to really focus on is awareness, uh, making pe people aware on the benefits of electric cooking and allaying their fears that I talked about earlier. Now, one of the most important drivers of change, I think, is uh, economics. Economics is a very strong driver. And if we can have a system where we have a real-time demand-responsive demand pricing, I think that really gives, uh, opens up uh, a very clear signal path for people to say, okay, these are the times that we have constraints with supply of electricity. It's going to be expensive, whereas other times it's going to be cheaper. So we need to adopt or adapt our cooking habits accordingly. And especially with information and uh, communication technology that is coming up now, it really fits in with this real-time monitoring and also uh, providing information. So I think there is a need for, uh, you know, the smart meters that we talk about, smart grids that we talk about. So that is one. Now, the other thing that we also need to do is get more market into the electricity sector rather than it being really controlled by a government agency, you know. Uh, electricity market both within Nepal and with neighbors. So that is because once we have an electricity market, then I think the price discovery happens through the market. That provides a signal to people to say, okay, when should I use more and when should I use less, helping with demand management. And then uh, when we talk about using more electricity domestically when there is a surplus, I think it's not just electricity that we focus on. There is also the industrial policies that helps Nepal to really internalize its competitive advantage uh, and where we can use surplus energy to really get that competitive example. Now, the cement industry is a living example. 
many years ago, I mean, 10 years ago, when I built my house, I think a lot of the cement had to be imported from India. But now I've read reports that we are self-sufficient and in fact, maybe uh, going to export. And a big factor in there is, uh, you know, having enough electricity and reliable electricity. Now, fertilizer, green hydrogen, uh, are other emerging, uh, you know, energy carriers, tourism, agriculture, herb processing, are some examples which we need to really promote to really use more electricity and aid with demand uh, management in Nepal. You are listening to Bots by BI. We just wanted to take a brief moment here to thank you, our listeners, for your amazing support. It truly means the world to us. Since you have been listening to us for so long, now we want to hear from you. Send us questions that you have had on your mind and topics you want to see us cover in the future. You can reach out to us on our email at info at the or any of our social media. So, thank you again for your support and for listening to Pods by PEI. We are looking forward to hearing from you. Now, let's get back to the episode. Now, considering the elements of climate and environment, Nepal's traditional cooking practices certainly contributes to indoor air pollution, greenhouse gas emissions, deforestation, and even climate change. What impact can electric cooking have on mitigating these issues? As I've uh, mentioned before, I think it's quite clear that traditional fuels, uh, they emit greenhouse gases. In fact, they even contribute to uh, deforestation uh, because uh, forests are actually sequesters carbon dioxide. So uh, deforestation has sort of a double uh, negative impact. Uh, However, uh, uh, unlike what people popularly think, I don't think uh, uh, traditional uh, fuels for cooking is a very big contributor of deforestation. I think timber is. But anyway, it does have its uh, contributions. Now, drudgery uh, for especially uh, women who are mostly involved uh, in, in, in cooking and collecting fuels. And uh, using traditional fuel also competes with other uses of these traditional resources. For example, animal dung can be used as fertilizer. So I think there is this impact on both the environment and also the climate change from traditional fuels. Now, LPG emits greenhouse gases, though less than traditional fuels, but it still has a big carbon footprint because emissions are related not only to its use, but also its extraction, refining, and transport uh, to Nepal. Now, electricity, uh, fortunately for us in Nepal, it's totally hydropower or mostly uh, hydropower, which is zero emission. And uh, it does not have... Uh, it has much uh, smaller carbon footprint over its lifetime. So when we can use electricity, uh, for example, for cooking, which actually is there is a use of LPG and traditional fuels, I think we are really contributing to both environmental um, uh, upgradation, but also uh, mitigating uh, the impacts of climate and also uh, adapting to uh, the vulnerabilities of climate. Those are some very convincing points for transitioning to clean cooking. But also considering Nepal's commitment to meeting its nationally determined contributions under the Paris Agreement, how does the adoption of electric cooking fit in with the country's climate change mitigation efforts? Well, as you mentioned, the nationally determined contributions, Nepal's uh, NDC under the Paris Agreement, 
if you look at uh, the document, it acknowledges that our current cooking practices contributes to Nepal's greenhouse gas emissions. And the government has identified electric cooking, improved cookstoves, and biogas as a means to address this. In fact, the government estimates that uh, these, the use or the replace or uh, conversion to these cooking uh, solutions, can reduce emissions by almost a quarter by 2030. However, given the difficulties of promoting improved cookstoves and domestic biogas, more aggressive promotion of electric cooking will be the best way to go. Uh, for reasons that I've also mentioned before. However, one thing that we have to always acknowledge when we talk about cooking is, I don't think there's uh, going to be sort of a universal, complete switch from you know LPG to uh, electric cooking or traditional to LPG. There's going to be what we call fuel stacking. So people, even though they start using electric cook stoves, would still have LPG as a backup. As time goes on, I guess they'll get more confident of electric cooking and then use less and less LPG. So I think um, those things we have to really uh, incorporate into our strategies and, and approaches. So I think there's also this opportunity for us to incorporate other sources of renewable energy in Nepal. Um, do you think that um, this gives us an uh, opportunity to increase Nepal's resilience to climate change? Do you think that integrating renewable energy sources with electric cooking solutions could help make Nepal climate resilient? Uh, that's a very interesting uh, question, uh, Shriya. Uh, when we talk about renewable energy and the role it could have, I think it applies not only to cooking, but to any electricity use. Now, as I've mentioned before, the current scenario in Nepal is we have big hydropower-dominated electric system. Now, when we have this system, what we have to address is climate vulnerabilities of big hydro plants with respect to hydrology, natural disasters like floods and landslides, including glacier lake outburst floods. And then the transmission lines will also have to be resilient to landslides, floods, lightning strikes, and other such uh, vulnerabilities. Now, these will be very costly efforts. I think it can be done. Therefore, it is also about time that we start seriously thinking about how distributed renewable energy systems like smaller hydropower plants, solar PV, wind, and possibly biomass electricity generation systems can help address the vulnerabilities of big hydropower plants with long transmission lines. Solar PV can actually be a complementary to hydropower because when the sun usually shines, it's not raining. So when we have less hydropower, there may be more solar. Furthermore, with distributed renewable energy systems, the local distribution system that is required would help to address, to reduce the need for more central generation or longer transmission lines. And these would also help, especially in areas where there are long distribution lines, especially in remote rural areas with weak grids, it will help to address the voltage drop and line loss issues. So incorporating renewable energies into our electricity system would help to make our electric system more resilient, which would not only help with electric cooking, but also with, let's say, electric mobility, uh, industries that use electricity, electricity used for uh, irrigation, pumping, etc. Now let's shift towards public-private partnerships. How do you envision the collaboration between public and private sectors to promote and also implement electric cooking solutions in Nepal? Uh, I think uh, it's not only for electric cooking, for, but for all development activities in Nepal, 
a private and public partnership in all its forms are going to be very crucial. And I think these, this kind of concept is acknowledged in all uh, governments' strategic and you know, plans and policies. Now, if you look at um, electric cooking, I think what the private sector can bring in is strengthening of the supply chain which means electric cook stoves. And especially if you're using induction cook stoves, it also means utensils. So uh, they could have efficient procurement or fabrication. They can provide warranties so that there is assurance that there's going to be quality. There's going to be financing. There's going to be seamless distribution, repair and maintenance. And private sector does that best. But to complement that and support that and to reinforce that, the public sector can then come with awareness can come with quality assurance. It can provide incentives, market-based approaches. So we've talked about the need to transition to cleaner cooking, and we've talked about the efforts made to transition to electric cooking, but there are still challenges. Based on your experience, what are the major challenges that Nepal faces in transitioning to electric cooking? Is it just infrastructure or is it a matter of affordability? Are people not aware? Do we lack the technology to support the transition? What is it? Well, in short, Shreya, it's a mix of all of those. Uh, I have already talked about infrastructure uh, as being uh, a big challenge. Now, that challenge, it's, it's not only in remote areas. We saw, uh, especially during uh, the difficult times we had in 2015 and 16, when we, people were forced to use electric cooking, we were constantly hearing of transformers exploding, lines coming down. So the infrastructure uh, upgrading does not only, is not only needed in remote areas, but also in urban areas. So I think that's a big challenge where the government has really to put in an effort. And I am happy to know that uh, the Nepal Electricity Authority is uh, heading in that direction, trying to reinforce the distribution system. So that is one, uh, one, one very important area. But as important, uh, there is this whole uh, uh, question about uh, behavior change, about awareness. Uh, people still, uh, as I said, you know, have a fear that electric cooking means, uh, firstly, it's a very difficult technology. Uh, very interestingly, we found in areas where we have tried to promote uh, electric cooking, younger people who are going to school and who have had some education, uh, like to do electric cooking, but older people who are not very familiar with technologies have a slightly more difficult time. So education, I think, is one important. Safety issues, both to tell people that uh, it's safer, but also to ensure that there is safety uh, in, in electric cooking um, and the convenience that it brings. Uh, very interestingly, um, uh, in one conversation that I had, I found that women who do cooking really like uh, electric cooking. And one of the reasons was because when, especially in the Tarai, in the hot season, when they use LPG stove, they cannot use a fan because the flames will go off or there's safety issues. So they really have to uh, sweat it out in the kitchen. Whereas when the electric cook stoves are adopted, they told me they could use a fan, have a much cooler environment. So those are the things that we have to identify and really promote. So that is the other thing. And then there is the supply chain to ensure that there is adequate supply of um, cook stoves, that it reaches every area, that the quality is good. And as importantly, if not more important, is if something were to go wrong, that there are after-sales service, there's warranty, uh, that really protects the customers 
from having to put in more uh, money. So I think that's another area. And uh, I think uh, financing uh, comes in very close because especially in lower income households, we've constantly found in all cases that people are not adopting certain technology, not because they cannot pay for it, but the upfront cost is what is really formidable for them. So if we can find a way to spread that cost out over time so that they can pay in installments, I think it becomes affordable to a lot of more people. So I think these are some of the challenges that we have to really look at and try to address. As we're coming to the end of the show, my final question to you is about making electric cooking accessible and affordable and what that means to the most vulnerable and marginalized communities. Do you think there will be opportunities of job creation and local economic development by switching to electric cooking? I firmly believe so. Now, there are two uh, parts to your question. One is, uh, how can we make that accessible and affordable? And then, will uh, promoting electric cooking have impacts on our uh, you know, economy? To take the second question first, if we can concentrate on the supply chain, if we can concentrate on making sure that the after-sales services is good, I think that itself creates employment because we'll need technicians, we'll need suppliers, we'll need possibly drivers, we'll need uh, other technicians, administrators. So I think that creates um, the, the jobs that we talked about. Now, local economic development uh, I think uh, electric cooking could indirectly contribute to, you know, improvement of health. It could improve help in people trying to use it for more industrial or enterprise purposes. So I think uh, those are areas where there could be some. And uh, just uh, making sure that we have a good ecosystem for electric cooking would help with that. Now, as regards accessibility, again, making sure that the infrastructure, the supply chain and the after-sales service is not just combined to urban areas, but the government makes efforts to make sure that even the most remote areas in Nepal would eventually get these infrastructure and these, um, uh, you know, the supply chain uh, reinvampment and after-sales service. So accessibility, I think that is one. Now, with regards affordability, one thing that I've always found with affordability is having options is one way to make sure that it's affordable. And when we have options, it could be options technologically. So for example, we could have one pot stoves, two pot electric stoves, big utensils, small utensils. So people, depending on their economic status, their family size can choose the different technologies. Now, just through the technological options, maybe it will not still reach to everybody. And then we need the financing options. We would have maybe loan. We have a pay-as-you-go system where people can pay installments in a higher purchase sort of system where the uh, monthly installment that they pay is covered by the savings they have. And in spite of that, if there are still some households that still cannot afford it, that can, we can have targeted subsidies. And now with renewable energy being a subject of local governments, I think local governments are in a much better position to identify and disperse targeted subsidies. So I think these are the strategies that would really help to make electric cooking accessible, affordable, and to have impact on economic growth. That is a very interesting link, and I think that's one that shouldn't go amiss. Thank you so much for your time on our show, and thank you for leaving on a very positive note. And with that, it's a wrap. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Pause by PI. 
I hope you enjoyed Shreya's conversation with Suman on the opportunities and challenges of transitioning to clean cooking practices with a special focus on the potential of shifting to electric cooking. Today's episode was produced by Nirjun Rai with support from Kushi Hang, Chidon Konsakar, Videsh Sapkota, and me, Saurabh Blama. The episode was recorded at the PEI studio and edited by Ridesh Sapkota. Our theme music is courtesy of Roj Shakya from Zindabad. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast. Also, please do us a favor by sharing us on social media and leaving a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to the show. For PEI's video-related content, please search for Policy Entrepreneurs on YouTube. To catch the latest from us on Nepal's policy and politics, please follow us on Twitter at Tweet2PEI. That's Tweet followed by the number 2 and PEI and on Facebook at Policy Entrepreneurs Inc. You can also visit PEI.center to learn more about us. Thanks once again from me, Saurabh. We'll see you soon in our next episode.